Hi, and welcome to Connected Conversations for Creatives, a place for creatives like you to learn, grow, and connect. I'm your host, Jennifer Carr. The written word has the power to ignite our emotions, broaden our horizons, and connect us with the essence of human experience. When we step into the enchanting world of storytelling, the imagination is only limited where we provide the boundaries. In a world flooded with stories, there's something truly magical about a single narrative that touches our hearts, transcends those boundaries, and evokes empathy. Let's remember that every captivating novel hides a treasure trope of dedication, determination, and daring. If you pull back the curtain on an author's creative process, you discover a magical concoction of imagination, research, and introspection that breathes life into characters who feel like friends and settings that can transport us to far-off lands. The path to becoming a published author is not a straight line. It is a winding, sometimes treacherous journey filled with the unexpected twists and turns. Our guest today will share her experience, the decisions that led her to collaborate with a small press, and the exhilarating yet challenging terrain of the publishing world. Her story is a testament to the courage of embracing the uncharted and finding your voice in a crowded room of storytellers. Her experience is not just about celebrating literary accomplishment. It's a testament to the fact that within each of us lies the potential to craft stories and narratives that resonate deeply and leave a lasting imprint on the world. So without further delay, I'd like to welcome Rachel Corsini to the podcast. Welcome, Rachel. I'm really glad to be here today. Um, so I think like you kind of hit the nail on the head. Um, but anyway, I'm Rachel. Um, I've been writing basically since I'm in high school. Um, but when I was in high school, I was actually a dancer. Um, and it was sort of just a very, very, very much was just a hobby, right? Like ballet was the thing. Writing was cool and all, but you know, I was in the studio all the time and I was taking classes all the time and I was like whatever and I'll just like I used to just like write in notebooks and then um I decided not to do ballet anymore and I uh, submitted a writing portfolio to a creative writing program and I was accepted and I and off I went off to the races and then you know however I didn't publish anything until much later <laughs> Well, congratulations on the debut novel. Like that is a feat in and of itself. So be proud of that for sure. Thank you. It's been a crazy year. <laughs> so you were a dancer and yeah. your book, So Happens, one of the main characters is a dancer. Is there a reason? Like, did we play off some life experience there? So um, honestly, the I will credit the fact that I think that this is my debut novel because I definitely cooked on to that write what you know this got drilled this all makes sense I talked about my writing program this got drilled into me in my writing program when I went to um Columbia College Chicago I have a BFA from their fiction writing department I think it's a creative writing department now they changed it but um and they were like these professors right to me like they were so stinking old um newsflash they were not that old okay I was just 19. Right. <laughs> um, but like constantly saying, write what you know, write what you know, it comes easier. It doesn't even matter what genre, you know, you could pull from your real life when like from life, when you write fantasy, when you write historical fiction, when you write magical realism, it doesn't matter, write what you know. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, whatever. So now that I am a little bit older and I have lived a little bit, I, I did, I started to pull from my own life. And Daniela in Sushi and Sea Lions, she is a dancer um, who ends up having to kind of start her whole life over because she breaks the metatarsals in her right foot. And yeah, as a ballerina, that's really bad. She has to have surgery. She has to have like very like, small metal pins put in to re um reconstruct her foot it's a very very bad injury and she realizes she, there's she can't come back there's no coming back from that but ballet is her whole world so it's definitely like a full circle kind of moment except i never i, I never got that injured i just made a decision <laughs> that i don't want to do ballet anymore but I was like, well, something needs to be even more soul crushing <laughs> to a main character. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to injure her. 
<laughs> and sometimes you got to do that. I mean, it hurts. It hurts because those characters are part of us in so many yes. different ways. <laughs> but yeah, like you kind of have to so that you can connect you because you know that people who are listening, you know, all of 99% of listeners, I would say could relate to that, yeah. that sense of loss or feeling like it's a personal failure or, you know, whatever that is. And the other 1% yeah. are probably lying to themselves if they say that they have never felt that way. So, you know, yep. you have to do something to kind of connect because- and that's what you want when you write a book is to connect yeah. with the reader, not just to entertain, but to connect. And it's not even necessarily about like the ballet, right? It's like what you're saying, because the lose having this break and then losing the ballet is just like the, the physical manifestation of it, right? Like that is the loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and her having to like pick up the pieces and change her whole life. You know, I don't know um, if like you've ever been through something like that where you like look at your life and you're like, wait a minute, am I Mm -hmm. actually happy doing this? Like, is this what I really want anymore? Right. So there that there is that wrapped up in Daniela, too, where it was, you know, she she goes through a lot of like evolution in the story. And it's like so she looks at herself and at some point and is like, was I actually happy? Like, yes, like this was my whole life and and I thought it was the dream and I thought everything was really great, but was I really actually happy? And that's the, that's the question, right? Because it, now it's like ripped away from her and she's so devastated, but when she can take a step back for a little while, was she really happy in that mm-hmm. world? And then, so that's like, that's a very big thing. And we, you know, we, I think most of us have been there. If maybe we're in our thirties as millennials, I think it's happened a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, 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 we try to figure out like your whole life is figuring out who on earth are you? Like, who am I down at the deepest core level? Because you have all these voices coming in at you saying, you know, this is what you're supposed to be. This is what you're supposed to be. And this is who you are. And it's like, but who do I want to be? You know, like what inside of me needs to come out to show who I really, really am. And so when you've made your identity, something so big, like dance, or, you know, for some people it's sports, for some people it's their career, whatever, when that becomes your identity and then it's gone. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yes. Oh my god. Just gosh. like totally like ripped out from from who you are, you know? And that that is the main thing of the of the whole story. And I love you know, that. I love that. Yeah. And just like and also, you know, there's a there's a lot of like there's a lot of there's just a lot of and but aside from that, it's also like about like loving, like actually loving yourself, not just like what you are to everybody else. Because that is a huge, huge struggle. And, you know, I think we've all been there. That's I think that's a universal, very universal experience, whether it happens in your early 20s, your mid 20s, your early 30s, late 30s, 40s, you know, it's like the constant journey. I don't know if that's even exclusive to women, really, but I just think a lot of men don't talk about that. But like, that's it. it is, it you know, that is something we we all definitely struggle. And, you know, our bodies and how we're viewed as other people and, you know, by other people and things like that. There's all of these like little things kind of thrown in there that she's like working through and now has the time because she's not doing ballet all the time. <laughs> Oh, I can just imagine. So when I write characters, I tend to to bond with them. So when they face the hard things that I've written, I wrestle with that emotional impact on their behalf, like as though I'm the one working through the same thing. And so when I come through a writing session, like I feel like I've had some sort of amazing therapy session, you know, like I've processed it with them and it's, it's hard, but it's cathartic. <laughs> oh, very. This book was very cathartic. This Susan Sea Lions was basically, I was like, you know what? Um, well, if I'm starting to here, I might as well just put every single issue I've ever had in my entire life down into one character in a book. <laughs> and when I was done, I went, oh, wow. <laughs> Therapist on <Daniela> speed dial. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Da- I, but Daniela very much, and I will 100% admit it. And I think, I also think this is common of writers for their first book whether it gets published or not, or becomes a debut or gets published third, whatever, because you hear those stories all the time too. Um, I think it's very common to have your first character like that 
be a self-insert. Daniela very much is. Not entirely. There, right? She And she's not a mayor, Sue. Oh, my God. But she's a self, she's definitely a self-insert. It's a lot of personal influence and a lot of like myself was, was pushed, given to her. Um, and I do think that that's like, a, that's also very common of writers. Like when they're, when they're doing their first book, because you gravitate towards something that's not going to be as much of a struggle, you know, again, write what you know. <laughs> This is true. And, and I mean, honestly, like when you're writing anything that comes from inside of you, I mean, it's got a part of you attached to it, whether it is blatantly you or just a hint of you, you know, part of you mm -hmm. is coming out because it it originates from where it comes, you know, from where it's yes. originating, it's inside of you. And so I think it would be nearly impossible um, for an author of any variety to write something that didn't at least have a sliver of themselves in it. Like, I can't imagine. Oh, I, I agree. Like, and I, and then it's also like when they say no, blah, 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 I'm like, you're lying. You're a liar. You're mm -hmm. liar. Or, like, you or it was your subconscious. Lying. Yes. Or it was your subconscious coming through and you just don't realize right. it, but that was and you. you <laughs> right. Or it's like, or, you know, it's like sometimes people write like characters too, like of who, who they wish they could be. Right. Like the, like, um, I also find that you know, if someone isn't as assertive in real life, they'll write a character who's very dominant and very assertive because that's like what they want to embody. You're putting it out onto the onto the page because you want it a little bit. Um, that's also something that we do without even realizing it. Like the yeah. character I'm working on right now is the polar opposite of um, Daniela in every single way. She's way more organized like everything is more like pinpointed way more organized she's very very career successful like you know all this kind of stuff like wealthy whatever but again like you said there is a piece of myself in her because she is you know dealing with this um like acceptance of like you know being loved or like you know forgiveness and like all of this kind of stuff mm -hmm. um and like that definitely is a little bit of my own personality and just get, you know, just get sprinkled in there. I am definitely not super organized um, or, or super like wealthy or financially very successful. However, I mean, I should write more lists and Trisha writes a lot of lists. Um, so that is a part of that I'm trying to like pull from her. I should write more lists. It's what you aspire to be. <laughs> A list maker. <laughs> That's funny. Oh my gosh. So thinking about the process of writing and what goes into it and how you feel after it, do you have like a specific set of rituals or routine that you follow when you write or do you just sit down and write when it, inspiration stri strikes? Again, I've said about being like probably the most disorganized person on the planet. So during the summer, because I'm a teacher, during the summer, um, I will just sort of like, have it open and like pluck away at it like here and there I'll like have coffee I'll have lunch I'll like oh I'm gonna write a little bit here I'm gonna maybe I'll watch an episode of this and I'll do this oh wait bleh, and then I'll like go back and pluck away and like whatever I write everything on google docs because like I said I'm a teacher <laughs> so during the day at work <laughs> when I have a launch or I have a prep period and I'm and I don't have as much paperwork or things to do or I have whatever I have free time Time. there's never any free time however and I'm like and I have like that hour um I'll open it and I will write like during the day um so I like to have it that's probably really the only thing that's like kind of constant I like to have access to my document everywhere so I write all of my drafts on google docs I don't just leave it on one file um because yeah then like sometimes I can get like I can get like an hour and a half, like two hours of writing done like every day during the week if I'm writing on my like prep or lunch period. Um, yeah, which is really, nice. really good. Um, summertime is a little bit more like, la la, I'm home all day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then, you know, when, I like getting Inspiration coffee, strikes. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so again, I'm not more, I'm not really like a routine and rituals person, but I will say, I don't listen to music or anything. I don't do any of that. It's usually very quiet. When I'm editing, though, I make a playlist for the book. And I listen to the playlist while I edit because it helps me mood. I'm a mood editor. 
So like if I have to like have like that once I finish the draft, I get a sense of like, okay, this is the story. So I'll listen to the playlist that I made and then I'll start editing and chopping things and moving stuff and like doing what I do. Yeah. So That's wild. Cause I am total opposite. Like my okay. playlist comes at the beginning and I will listen to the same playlist over and over again. And then I write, but I cannot listen to music any other time. It has to be before the book has even been started. And then the really? playlist has like inserted the story into my head because it's very themed. And I'm like, okay, this feels good. Like I'll hear a song and I'm like, that makes me think of a character. And so, but once that, once the book starts, like no music, I can't listen to anything and definitely not what I'm editing. Cause then I'm just like, da, 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 you know, like, oh, I'm, no. <laughs> no, I'm like, I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. This is like, this is how she's feeling right now. Yes. Okay. Let's go. And then I start and like, I get really into, into the editing process. I, I am a better, um, I am a better rewriter than drafter. I wouldn't even say editor. I'm a better like rewriter. Yeah. I find my initial draft is the struggle. Like what is the story? What, what am I trying to say? What is happening? What is this character's battle? And then once that is done and I go in and I start that rewrite, I'm like, I know what this is now. And then it like goes, but it's getting that draft finished. That's, that's the, that's the, that's where I'm like, can't you write yourself? Please. <laughs> I agree. And I, uh, rewriting, like I don't edit myself. I have to have somebody else come in and edit. I already do enough self-editing as it is like right. putting words on the page. Like I'm so bad about that. I'm like, no, I can't write that. And it's like, no, just write it. You can go back and change it, but I can't, like my brain won't let me. And so, but rewriting is so much easier. Cause I'm like, why yeah. would I say that? Let's fix that. You know, but mm, yeah. I don't edit myself. I can't. Don't okay. do it. <laughs> yeah. You know, listen, I was, I was in there like, you know, fine. I was like, fine tooth and eggs, you know, I was submitting to, right. wanted to submit to agents and publishers. And I was like, okay, so, you know, nobody knows who I am. So if I send them a messy manuscript, that's it, you're done, you know? So I was like, I was in there and like, you know, okay, is this good? Is this perfect? Is this, you know, it was, yeah. I don't that's think true. I have to do that this time. That's I good. Don't. I was going to ask you, so you, you've put in with a small press, do they have an yeah. editor that then does? Okay. Yes. So I was, yeah, so I was professionally edited. I actually got two edits um, with my small press, which, you know, honestly, I have read some very big trade published books that have missed quite a bit of things. So the fact that I got double edited, I was developmentally edited and copy edited. And given, you know, remarks and comments or whatever, um, you know, like, asking me like a question, like, wait a minute. And I was like, oh crap, how did I miss that? You know, but you do, I mean, you know, not for nothing, you're editing 300 pages. Yeah. You're going to miss something. A And also a story that you really know. <laughs> so right. things are getting, you're going to miss something. I don't care what anybody says. Like, you're right. you know, it is impossible to catch absolutely everything. You can really try, but it really is impossible. And, you know, so I was very fortunate. I was developmentally edited and I was um and I was copy edited, which is which is amazing. Like I said, like you know, I've read some like big trade books and I'm like I'm like how did you miss that? <laughs> I know, maybe I shouldn't say that out loud, but it is very true. I'm like It is true. And that editor an editor is the one thing that I will tell Anybody who wants to self-publish or traditionally publish, I don't care what you decide to do, hire yourself an editor. Like you find a way to afford an editor in some form or fashion because that will make or break your book. Yeah. Yes. Because people notice. They do notice. Yes. Like even if they're not like strict grammaticians, it's just, it looks unprofessional right. to have, listen, like I said, you're going to have one, two or three things. You're talking about 300 pages. I can only catch so much. Um, a developmental editor can only catch so much. The line edits can only catch them off the proofs, the galleys. You're going to miss some, something is going to slip through, but it shouldn't be messy, right? It, there is no excuse for that. None. And, you know, especially, you know, not, especially if you are expecting people to pay for something. Yep. They're paying for your book, for being entertained by your writing for the enjoyment of that, 
They are paying. This is like, you know, yes, it's our art and it's what we do, but they are paying. They're paying $5 for an ebook. They're paying $15 for your paperback, which is amazing. They want to maybe keep it on their shelf or whatever they're going to do with it, but they are paying. And if you put out a messy product, they are not going to pay again. And they will not come back for book two. And they won't come back, right? They'll be like, well, this was this was unreadable because of X, Y, and Z. Yep. Absolutely. So yeah. which small so which small press, if you want to talk about which yeah. small press you went with? I am with Creative James Media. Um, and they are a small press here in the US. And I that Pasadena, Maryland is where like they're located. Um and I went with CJM because I felt like they really understood the, the, the point of my book of sushi and sea lions. I, I had some luck with like the, the real, like traditional wrap. So, I mean, I received like 24 requests from agents and publishers. I, you know, I don't, I've got rejected like a hundred times though. Let's be real. This is not, it, it is, it is a soul crushing, horrible, horrible journey <laughs> to get your first book published. You literally want to crawl up in a, crawl up in a ball and die half the time. Um, I mean, I received some pretty bad reviews too, but I did get a very good response and some rejection. Obviously you get the form response rejections, even on full requests now, because everyone is inundated and everyone is very busy. Um, but some full requests that I got from agents, their big thing to me was, this isn't a straight romance. And I was like, yes, I know that. And they were, you know, and that was the big thing. And it was like, how do I sell this? Where does this, how do I sell this book? Where does it go? To me, I wanted to be like, I don't know, use your brain. Like, I don't know, where do you think the market is for this? It's, you know, and when I spoke to CJM, it was very clear they understood what the book was. It was a women's fiction novel with a ro with a heavy romance plot. It was not your standard meet cute contemporary romance where that is the only thing that is happening in the story, right? And that's what I write. So I don't know. Did I start a new genre? I personally don't think so. I think there are readers out, there are readers out there for a genre like this. I think so. That was really the big. The big thing with me and um, the understanding of what my book was and the and the approach that they took to figuring out how to get it out there, um, that was that was really the big call for me. And I did understand, like you know, the struggle that comes along with publishing at a small press. I mean, you got to do you have to do a lot of your own grunt work. I had to build a little a following. I post, I mean, I post on Instagram. I put I post on TikTok. I have a Facebook page. I have a newsletter. I have all of these things, right? Because I knew that in order to sell, I, I had to be out there, right? Like you had to see me. You had to like experience a little bit of who I was, my story, the book, the different things that I like, all of this kind of stuff, you know, but not for nothing. I know trade authors and they have to do it too because mm -hmm. even the big four, if you don't make them a lot of money, they don't give you a budget. They don't give you a marketing budget. You got to figure it out on your own. And it really, I mean, it's, it is very cutthroat out there. So me being from a small press versus being a nobody that signs with HarperCollins is not very much different. Right. You know, yeah. there was like, I think there was an article about it too, about how like most debut authors from the big four only sell like a thousand copies. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I'm not that far off. Actually. Right. Right. So, you know, it is not that dissimilar. Um, and I think, you know, I think that transparency is not apparent when you do sign with us with with a with a, a big four, too. And I'm not against a big four. Right. Don't get me wrong. Right. Like if I signed a deal like that, I would be ecstatic. Yeah. But I'm just saying, you know, a lot of a lot of people will just brush off a small press 
And it really shouldn't be like that, especially like with a cross genre book, they are very difficult to sell. Agents are very wary. They like a formula. They want, this is what it is. And this is how I can pitch it. And this is how I can sell it. And this is how I will make my commission because it will sell. They're not going to fight very hard anymore. They don't have to. There's too much competition. So either you write the stories that you feel strongly about and that you want to tell, and this is what you write, and this is your voice, or you change that voice and you write to the market, and that's what you sell to. Yeah, there. I can't imagine like there. There are so many cookie cutter books out there on the market, and and they keep publishing those. And I'm going at some point, it's going to change. And I think the small press is going to be the one that picks up the slack there and says, "Oh, we can offer you something different." Yeah. Yes, I I definitely agree. I think the small presses are the ones that are taking a shot on those kind of stories. You know, I think like. Well, I think a reviewer actually called Sushi and Sea Lions. They said it was a beach read after dark. And I was like, damn. I was like, what a good way to categorize it. Because I mean, it's a, it's a little raunchy. Right. <laughs> it is. But it, because it has that, the element, the spice of the contemporary romance. It's really quick, like a beach read. But there's real meat in there based on what the character is going through, which pulls in from that women's fiction, right? So I, channeled all these cross-genre things. And the small presses are the ones that are taking the risks on those kinds of books, right? Like, I'm pretty sure if I had sold to a big four, they would have edited it down to a contemporary romance. Yeah. And I would have, there would have been nothing I could do about that. I, If I had signed, that would have been it. Like, that would have just been the book. That was it. I had no more say. So I guess that's one of the benefits of using a small press is that you do have a lot more say and a lot more influence on your final product. Yes. Oh, yes, you do. Yes. I mean, like even in developmental edits or like when I was like getting suggestions and things, it stuff would be suggested, right? Like, hey, if you want to change this, this is what I suggest for the story. So it was that if I was making an edit like that, that was my choice. Okay. Um, also, when it came to the cover. I had a lot of say in that cover. I was given three or four picks um, like of the general layout. And then I, based on that, I made a lot of suggestions like from the clothes that they wore, um, the clothes that they wore, the, the pose I got of different choices for the pose. Um, and then, so I picked one. And then actually one of the tweaks we did make was because she had her both feet on the ground and her like little Louboutins. It also makes sense that she would wear a Louboutin. Um, and I said, you know, before we got finalized, this was like the last edit. I said, you know what? I said, can she pop her heel? I was like, Daniela would would pop her heel when, when looking up at him like that. Like she was a ballerina. She's also like a, a romantic. I was like, can she pop her heel? And the cover designer was like, oh, my God, yes, like, you're right. But otherwise, you know, and also, you know, about trade, like, they go, here's your cover. <laughs> and you're like, uh, okay. <laughs> and it looks like all the other books on the market. Yep. Yes, absolutely. So I like the idea of, because I went self-published because like you, there were so many queries and so many rejections and so many, like I had a couple that they had me on the line for so long. And then they were finally like, you know what, this needs more work. And I'm like, that's why I was, you know, but anyway, that's a whole other, I was just like, that's fine. Thanks for wasting everybody's time. Um, and so I decided, you know what there, I don't have the, it's, and it's not a streamlined process, right? Like they're oh. not any two agents want the same exact thing all the way through the process. And so I finally said, you know what, I want my book out there. So I'm going to do it myself. Um, but I think small publishing or a small press is like taking the traditional publishing, all that's good about it and all that's good about self-publishing and putting them together. Because that's why a lot of people self-publish is they want that control. They want that input. They want that say. Yes. Yeah. And also, you know, a true, a true small press, and I'm just going to put this out there because I know it happens, will never ask you for money. Yeah. So 
you know, I personally, right, for the quality of book that I wanted to produce and I wanted to be out there as my first book with my name on it, right? I could not afford to pay for an editor, to pay for cover design, you know, to pay for formatting, um, to go through Ingram's. I could not afford to do any of that on my own. And a true small press publisher will never ask you for money for any of those things. They recoup their investment based on your sales. So I did not have to pay for any of that editing process. I don't have, I didn't have to pay for my ISBN. I didn't have to pay for formatting, my cover, anything. So like you said, right? I also had an input almost as a self-published author, but I didn't have to upfront any of those costs, right? That was their job. That is the, and that's part of the reason why you signed with a small press too, is because these things are very expensive. You could spend thousands of dollars, which I didn't, I don't have. I did not have thousands of dollars to spend on. Most of us don't. <laughs> right, right. You know, it's, it, it, it is, it can be very difficult. Oh, absolutely. Um, I talked to a, a small press owner. He um, he started it s several years ago. Anyway, we were talking last week um, and he was like, it's important that people understand the difference between small press publishing and a vanity publisher. Vanity publishers are going to ask for money up front. And it may be that they have zero plans to do anything with your book except to say, hey, you can now put our name on there and say you were published by a company um, or they're going to take all of your choice away. But a vanity publisher is so different from a small pub small press publisher. So make sure for all the listeners that are listening that there is a difference and don't get suckered. I mean, there's yes. I'm sure there are plenty of vanity publishers that are just fine to work with, but you're not going to have the same benefits as an actual small press publisher. Yes. Um, and, you know, one of the things, too, where I was where I felt more sure about going with Creative James Media was also they are registered with the um, IBPA. So they are registered with the Independent Book Publishers of America. OK. Um, and, you know, that that in of itself to being registered with them, they didn't ask for money up front. It was very clear they had read my whole manuscript when we had a meeting. Um, I also like to preface this too, you know, a lot of people talk about the call, like if you get a full request from an agent and then they wanna take you on, usually you have a call, right? And you talk to each other, you ask questions, you see if you're going to work well together. One of the things also that Creative James Media did when they were wanted to sign my book was say, hey, we're definitely really, really interested. Do you wanna, like, we would like to have a, or a Zoom meeting, okay? And I liked that because they they sold themselves to me as their as their future author, right? They were like, "This is the genre that we see as your book. This is all of the things that we loved as your book. We already kind of have a plan, or we have an idea, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. They brought that to my attention, right? And then they asked, and then I asked questions back and whatever. And I said, you know what? Like, obviously, yes, please send me the contract. I'll look at it, et cetera, et cetera. And we went from there. So, you know, when they want you, they're supposed to, they're supposed to sell themselves to you. Another red flag thing that I think new authors, especially, you know, which, and you can get caught up in very fast because you're like, this is my shot. This is my one chance, right? Like no one will ever offer me anything again. That is not true because I was given multiple offers at small presses for Sushi and Sea Lions and I turned down two. So, and I went with this one. This was the one that my gut said was the right place to go with. But a red flag that you should pull away from is when a small press or even an agent is pushing you to make a decision before the standard two-week mark. Because when you get offered a contract with an agent or with a small press, industry standard is two weeks to make a decision because you 
are going to notify everyone else who has your full manuscript that you've been given an offer. And that gives other people a chance to say, hey, wait, no, we want you in that two-week period. Anyone pressuring you to sign before the given two weeks, you should walk away from. Absolutely, because they don't have their best, your best interest at heart. Oh. They have their best interest at heart. Right. And I would also um, piggyback onto that. Um, find you a trustworthy lawyer who deals with these kinds of contracts, you know, not just any old lawyer, but someone who who knows the creative world and, and can walk you through this process who's done it before, uh, because it's yeah. a little nuanced compared to a regular contract. You know, there are a lot of different bells and whistles when it comes to book publishing contracts. And so, you know, be careful who you trust. Just be careful who you trust. Yes. I mean, I, I saw my first contract and I was very overwhelmed. I was like, what am I even looking at? I don't understand. I was talking to a, a, an entertainment lawyer a couple weeks ago and um, I was like, I'm so glad we're having this conversation because legal zoom can only get you so far. You know what I mean? Like legal zoom and google.com. Like that's, that's the world of my legalese. And she was like, yes, I'm glad you brought that up because <laughs> I was like, sorry. It's like, you know, it, it, it can be very, very, very overwhelming. Like, yeah. you know, I know like I, there are definitely, there are definitely like certain things in my contracts. Like, that like one of my goals is like that I want to get to, um, which I think is kind of cool. I really, um, if I sell a thousand copies, I get an audio book and I'm like, I'm like, come on, man. I'm like, buy my book. <laughs> Everybody listening, audiobook. go buy it. Go buy it now. <laughs> I want an audio book so bad. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, and that's a whole know, like, other ball game because that's expensive. Oh, 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 that is like. I have a friend, I have a friend who is, who is doing Kickstarter to do her own for her book. And I'm like, girl, mm -hmm. more power to you. I mean, cause that is, whoa, yeah, whoa. It's like thousands and thousands of dollars. It is. Because you, first of all, because you know, you have to, you have to pay someone to narrate. I mean, or, you know, I could do whatever, but. Um, you could pay someone to narrate. You have to rent studio space. Then you have to get a digital editor, right? Who's going to cut and edit the, the narration of your book. Very, very expensive. Studio time is insane. Insanely yeah. expensive. It is. It's like uh, pristine real estate. I mean, it is it is up there in the, in the price tags. Because yeah. um, I looked into it, even doing, you know, just the Amazon... Um, their contract, I mean, it's still like over a thousand dollars and I'm going, good heavens, you know, and that's just to get started. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 No, it's not a joke. And literally, and you know, like you need multiple days, you need yeah. at least three or four days to record, which can be like a thousand dollars a day. Yeah. It's wild. People don't, people, they, they go, you know, and they want all this stuff for free or that's too expensive. And I'm like, I don't think yeah. you understand one, what I'm bringing home when you buy my book. I am so grateful that anybody ever considers reading my books and, and that they would pay for them. Yeah. But you don't understand, you know, I bring home like a dollar 30, you know, when you buy it on Amazon. <laughs> you know yeah. But after all the expenses and stuff, you know, because you decide you went self, <laughs> self published, like, you know, for me, I, um, you know, which is pretty standard, I think, small press contract wise, is you usually don't get an advance trade probably you right. would get an advance. But small press wise, um, usually you it's a royalty contract, right? <clears throat> and more often than not, it's a 40 60 split 60 for the publisher, because they laid out advance money, and 40% for you. Um, so you know, it, you know, it's, it's good for both of you, if you sell your book. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> you know, you're kind of like, you want to sell because, you know, either you want to sign with them again, or you want to also like, if you're looking to go somewhere else, or if you're, you're going to query an agent, et cetera, having, you know, a sales, having a sales record is, is also pretty good. Like, so like you said, it is easier to publish your second book. Because you now are starting to have a record behind you as an author, mm -hmm. you know, it is, it does, it is easier. 
Yeah, you have that reputation. Um, So thinking about everything we've talked about or anything we haven't talked about, what is the one thing that you would want listeners to walk away from? Advice, encouragement, anything. If nothing else, what do you want them to hear? Okay, so this is like my favorite thing, which I know is really, really hard to to whatever, right? Your your journey is your own. Mm. Do not compare yourself and what you are doing to anyone else because that is like the root of all insecurity the root of all evil just do what you do don't look at someone else that's the same age as you that has six books out don't look at someone who is younger than you that has x amount of books out or the big contract or all these things and say well i should be there or that i should be there or don't do that don't do that yourself because what's meant for you comes and it's your own trajectory and your own journey. And there's very much a reason for everything. So just keep doing what you're doing. That's it. That is my advice. That's perfect because we get so caught up in the comparison game and we don't understand what it took you to get to where you are and me to get to where I am. And so if we start comparing things, we're going to find two very different journeys. Like yours may have been completely flat and smooth and mine may have been a bunch of hills or, you know, whatever it's, you don't know what that person got through. The fact of the matter is you're doing it. Keep doing it. Like put your best out there and just go for it. Absolutely. That, that, Mm. that really is it, right? Everything happens when it's supposed to happen. That's I firm. I fully firmly believe that. In all things, not just writing things, in life things, in in everything. Things always happen for a reason. So you just kind of have to trust, trust in the universe and trust the process. (laughs) Trust the process. And it's hard because we're so, we are in such a culture where give it to me now and, you know, instant gratification. Like we're so used to that, but you have to understand that things that are worthwhile, they're going to take a little bit extra time. Yes. Yes. They do take extra time. Yes, Absolutely. Mm, don't rush it okay so tell us how listeners can connect with you and your work okay so I'm pretty much everywhere I'm not gonna lie I'm pretty much everywhere so you can find me on Instagram TikTok and Twitter my handle is at Madam Ray Ray um that's the same for all three of those I'm on Facebook as Rachel Corsini writer you can find my page there um and Sushi and Sea Lions is available where all books are sold. You can literally get it anywhere. Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Walmart, Bookshop. You could get it every single place ever. So you, you'll be able to find me all over the place. <laughs> Perfect. That's awesome. And it'll all be linked in the show notes. And so, you know, if you're listening and you want to go click on it and find her book while we're talking, then by all means, go do that. Go say, hey, connect on uh, all of the social media platforms. That will be fantastic. Rachel, thank you for being here and just being part of this conversation and sharing your journey with us. I think that there was definitely something here for anybody and everybody if they would just listen. I hope, yes, I really hope so. I hope like someone got like some little nuggets that they could take with them on, uh, on their journey here. We're with you guys. I promise. <laughs> that's right. Hey, we've been there in some form or fashion. We have been there and we're here for the ride. That's, and that's why I'm doing this is so that we can connect with one another and say, Hey, create yourself a network of people you can trust. Like, I, you know, everybody that's on here is they're, they're vetted and screened. And so they're not coming on here to sell you something. <laughs> no, you know, it's, it really is just about, you know, making connections and finding your people and, you know, just taking little pieces of advice that from all of these great resources. And it does, it really does help a lot. It does because it can become a very isolated journey if you let it. So don't let it. (laughs) Yes. Writing can be very isolating and it does not have to be right. You can find communities and you can find people and it, it makes you feel like less alone when people are raging about the same things. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And we don't have the same, you know, how we got from point A to point B, but clearly we have a lot of the same opinions about a lot of the same things. Yes, we do. Absolutely. Because I, I, there's a lot of like, yep, yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, yep. Because, you know, it's just, it's just learning about the industry too. Like as you're, as you're getting more and more involved and you, you start to see things and you hear things and from different authors, from small presses, trade, self-published, you know, 
everything, the lines are very much blurred now. I mean, it used to be very much like if something was previously published, it used to be untouchable, mm-hmm. right? Never get published again, anywhere. That's starting to change, right? There are so many self-published authors and TikTok, BookTok famous authors that are self-published. They get snagged by an agent and a trade pub and those previously self-published books, those are published books are being republished in by the big four and put into major bookstores and selling and selling and selling. So, you know, the industry itself is totally, it's totally been flipped on its head. Whereas mm-hmm. five years ago and 10 years ago, no one would touch it. Oh, no. It was published already because published already. The mindset is anyone who's going to buy it has already bought it. When we know now that is not exactly the case. That's not true. If an audience is found. So, you know, I mean, and you could look at like serial, serial writing websites also, right? Things like that. You know, you have Wattpad and Inkit and Radish and you have all of these things, right? Those books are also getting published by small presses and trade and things like that. You know, they're serialized fiction. But yes, do you have to weed through things? Absolutely. Some of them are guilty pleasures. Absolutely. But there are some gems of writing there. And what happens is authors build an audience and they already have, they can say, hey, I have X amount of people that I can guarantee will probably buy this. That's a really good um, piece of advice there, just kind of buried in there. Start forming your audience. Even if you haven't published a book, start building an audience and actually share your work because then the more people who are already established in the beginning, if you're looking for one of those contracts, you know, whether it's small press or larger, um, you know, if you already come in with an established audience, which is so hard to just all of a sudden write a book, publish it, and then all of a sudden think, I got to have an audience, do it the other way around. Start building that audience, that newsletter, whatever it is, and then um, you will see probably, I, I can't guarantee this, but you'd probably have a better chance of finding a contract in the end. Yeah. An audience is very important. And you could, and you could do this, like just literally just like building just social media, like connections mm-hmm. with whatever community you want. I mean, there's like all different things. There's like one line Wednesday and, you know, Friday kiss. There's like all these like different, I think Friday kiss is actually gone, but I know some people still do it anyway. But, um, there's always like different little things. And so like, if you put yourself up there as like a writer, like you said, even if the book isn't out or if you don't have a deal or your manuscript isn't finished, if you put yourself out there, you know, people may be intrigued by like little like one-liners or things that you are sharing. And Mm -hmm. so want to know more about what it is that you're writing or working on. And then that generates interest. I be, I'm happy to be careful about what I share, but that's just me personally. But um, yes, if you're build, trying to build an audience, that's a good that's a good thing to do. Yeah, that is probably the hardest part of being an author. If and and I think sometimes when people automatically think that being traditionally published, that you just automatically have uh, an audience. But like you said earlier, you know they're still doing the work. They're still putting in the legwork on their social media platforms and in their newsletters and that kind of thing. They may have somebody helping them along the way. They may be paying an assistant or something, but they're still yep. having to build that audience and they're still doing the work. So yeah. Yep. I agree. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm working on book two, so there may eventually be an announcement, okay. but you know, listen, book two okay. is like, I don't understand how I don't understand. <laughs> it's good it's good i listen book two is easier to publish but harder to write like for me that's how it was it's everyone everyone has said the same thing everyone that i speak to they're like yeah we don't know why it's Mm -hmm. just like it'll get like you don't have to fight as hard but get like actually finished getting it done and like do it they're like i don't understand either like it's so terrible the expectations I think we set ourselves up we're like okay I had such a good response to book one now this one has to meet or beat those expectations and it's like ah so 
that yeah. yes that's probably yeah and like mind block and you're like just like yes <laughs> uh, but yeah like um the book too I had a whole month where I had to step back because there were I couldn't think of what to write next and I was like you know what it can have an empty middle for a month nobody cares except me like nobody knows you it's know, there except me I sort of I I was like you know what when it came to this too I decided like I had to give myself a little bit of grace also like you know I'm a debut this was my first book like I I edited it to God knows the nth degree, rewrote it how many times, right? And I also know like people, a lot of times people finish a book and it ends up getting shelved because nobody will take it. And I mean, how fortunate, like I wrote this book and there was a place for it. And, you know, it was, I mean, I've been writing for a long time. I just never finished a novel. Like I would write and something would die or I would write a short story or stuff like that, right? But this was my first novel that I ever finished. And I mean, let me, I, I edited and revised for like two years, you know? So to, to, and now like to be like, you know, being like, oh my God, I've done this already. Like, like you should be able to finish this. I'm like, will you relax? You're also marketing a book. You're doing podcasts. You started up, you, you have a newsletter now. You have this, you have all these different things. There's all these different pieces. Like I'm trying, dangling. And, you know, it's like, calm down and like I have a job too like also. <laughs> like I have to work as much as we would hate you know to leave those jobs behind and only oh. focus on the creative things but yeah oh, I'd be so devastated <laughs> so sad <laughs> I get well, it thank I you Rachel I know that you've got a day ahead of you as I do but thanks for having this conversation just sitting down and hanging out Oh, it was awesome. Thank you so much. This was really great. I love it. Absolutely. I can't wait. Like, I cannot wait to see what comes next because, you know, the, your first book, I haven't read the whole thing. I got started on it and was like, uh oh, <laughs> time got away from me um, because, you know, jobs, eh, what it is. Um, but I was life. like, oh, <laughs> life. Exactly. Life, but job. now I'm like, the second book will be here before we know it. I am sure. <laughs> I hope. I hope. Remember what I said about drafting? But yes, it's it's not as in as bad a shape as I think it is, probably. I bet it's not. You're probably your own worst critic if you're like me. <laughs> of course. Of course. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. You too. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye.